0: Welcome to the Fantasy
1: Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. I
2: drive, center field, hit
0: the wall, grand slam! This is
1: magnificent. Got a
2: fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality.
3: Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. We need more outfielders. Well, you've got it. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today on Tuesday, February 22nd, 2022. Lots of twos in the date there. Thought that date was actually pretty neat. I am Frank Staffel, joined by Scott White and Chris Towers with our Outfield Preview Part 2, in case you needed another one. Looking to get through the top 60 or so in ADP with sleepers, breakouts, bus, and more. There's just so many outfielders to talk about. Let's just jump right in today, Scott. No time wasted, which this might be your favorite podcast ever is no, no pleasantries. Mm -mm. Not even going to ask you how you're doing. None. Let's, uh, let's pick up where we left off. And we'll start with three, going between pick 68 and 80. Brandon Lau with an ADP of 68.6 in the sixth round. Cattell Marte at pick 77. And J.D. Martinez at 79.68 D.P. Uh, that is in the seventh round. We spoke about both Brandon Lau and Cattell Marte on the second base preview. Uh, we were okay with Lau, just to know that he is very streaky. Scott likes Marte, while Chris loves Cattell Marte. And that brings us to J.D. Martinez, who had a very fine season last year, finished 41st overall in Roto, averaged 3.2 fantasy points per game, 286 batting average, 28 homers, 92 runs scored, 99 RBI. Scott, it seems like the fluky 2020 is behind us. J.D. Martinez is, for the most part, back. The only thing that concerns me, he had this awesome April. Mm. From May 1st on, he hit 273, 19 homers, 805 OPS. So, like... You know he was good, but not great over the final five months. How much does that actually matter to you? Not that much
1: I, I, I wish it didn't happen. I wish it didn't play out that way, right? Because in April, remember, nobody in the league was hitting. Oh, it yeah. was a disastrous month for offense across the entire sport. and jD Martinez is is looking like the league MVP at that point. No, oh, obviously, he's back. so you know, it was it was a little weird that the the rest of the season played out the way that it did and and given that he's 34 years old you, you, you can't help but wonder if if maybe the skills declined a little bit there but if you look at the actual skill measures via Statcast how hard he hits the ball how much contact he makes etc you know even go month by month with it it doesn't look too concerning so you know given that he's 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 kind of in this range of outfielders where he's he's clearly going after the studs. I, I still think he's capable of being a stud himself. I, I think I think I think the value is pretty nice. Uh, I think maybe people are discounting too much because of the way the last five months went.
3: Yeah, I mostly agree with that, Chris. I I like JD Martinez. I think he's a. True four-category contributor. Not going to give you any speed at all, but if you do need some pop in the middle of your draft in a Categories League, Points League, he's obviously still great. Um, Scott mentioned some of the StatCast numbers, 90th percentile, average exit velocity, 81st percentile in barrel rate. He hit the ball really hard when he put it in the air. I actually think that his home run-to-fly ball ratio can improve based on where it was at last year. So I like this value for J.D. Martinez, regardless of format, really.
0: Yeah, I think it's fine. You know, if you look under the hood, there's some like, well, he started swinging a little bit more and he started chasing a little bit more. And maybe that's a a result of having to cheat a little bit with a declining skill set to catch up to stuff. And, and, you know, maybe that's the kind of thing that like, well, it didn't really affect him last season. Maybe it starts to chip away at the skill set, but. The underlying numbers are mostly strong. The, the The quality of contact, especially, is not nearly as good as it was at his peak. But that was because he was one of the you know eight or nine best hitters in baseball at his peak. You know, if he's one of the twenty or twenty five best hitters in baseball, that's still plenty valuable at the cost he's at. So, yeah, I think it's a good lineup. It's a <clears throat> you know good underlying skill set. So I think JD Martinez will. Will be pretty good this season. Obviously, you know, he turns 35 in August, so there's the chance the bottom falls out, but it doesn't seem like there are a ton of red flags there.
3: Three more outfielders going between picks 84 and 87. So bunched up here in this group, all in the early eighth round range. And it's everybody's favorite group to talk about this offseason. Christian Yelich at 84.4. John Carlos Stanton at 86.4. Cody Bellinger at pick 87 on the nose. Three former MVPs. And we'll start with Yelich versus Bellinger because I think Stanton is a little bit different from these guys. Obviously, the skill set that he offers is different as well. He's probably closer to a J.D. Martinez type player, lower batting average. Than, uh, than what these players can provide if they're healthy and if they're right. So, Scott, we'll start with you. Uh, who do you prefer between Yellich and Bellinger, and do you actually target them in this range of your draft?
1: I don't. I don't target them. To answer your second question first, as is customary, uh, I, I just think there are too many high-quality, sure things still available in this range. It's just they, they're not the the value hasn't depreciated quite enough for me to take a chance on two players that I'm I'm not sure they'll they'll ever be right again. I think there's a higher percentage chance of Bellinger getting back to an MVP level than Yelich. I think Yelich the condition of his back has contributed to his downfall and you know there's obviously a long history of Hall of Fame caliber players who became significantly less than Hall of Fame caliber because of chronic back issues. Don Mattingly, Todd Helton. Uh, there are more examples, but those are the ones that immediately come to mind for me. But, and I w-
0: and, you know, the and, ones you don't remember?
1: The ones, are the ones who, who
0: missed four weeks with a back injury and then it was
1: never an issue again. Right, but obviously this has been going on for longer than that for Yelich, uh, Bellinger, I feel like he just remember coming off the MVP season, he was changing up his mechanics and then he had a dislocated shoulder in the playoffs, the 2020 playoffs after the short season. And so there was a shoulder surgery in there between the injury and his own, um, I don't know, lack of trust in himself, himself, himself. He just kind of tinkered his way out of, being that kind of player you know and and it's just a mess right now and could he get it back I, I imagine if he can get it back it, it would be the sort of thing that happens very suddenly but he, he may continue to look lost heading into this new season I don't know we don't we don't really have any insight as to what's going on with him so I'm, I'm scared of him because obviously he was useless last year
3: Two of the hardest players to figure out this offseason, Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger. I actually tweeted out an article earlier. Uh, I advise everyone to check it out if you want to learn more about these two guys. Tom Verducci wrote like an in-depth breakdown comparing... Uh, their age to other players, you know, at this point in their career, uh, their health, their mechanics, all these different kind of things. And and I found it really helpful. Uh, Chris, a lot of lots going on with both of these guys. Yelich, obviously, he really hasn't been the same since he fractured his kneecap back in 2019. So maybe that's something that's contributed as well. Obviously, we know the back and uh, the back issues with him. The ground ball rate was up. The exit velo dropped tremendously last year for Christian Yelich. And then for Bellinger, I mean, it was just a flurry of just everything last year. It was the the off season shoulder surgery. Uh, he missed forty seven games with a fracture in his leg, ten to ten to a hamstring, nine to a left rib cage fracture. So he had all that. And then on top of everything, he uh, he could not hit fastballs. He hit one fifty against fastballs last year, which was the worst hitter with that's all minimum of five hundred fastballs. So he goes from in his MVP season. 327 hitter versus fastballs to 150 last year. So, I, mean, I don't know. He, it's it's tough to figure out, but uh, do you have a preference? Do you actually like drafting either of these guys, Bellinger versus Yelich?
0: It, it's worth noting he struggled against fastballs. He struggled. <laughs> like Yeah, in general. His expect He was one of the worst hitters in baseball last season. It's not like if you're comparing Christian Yelich to Cody Bellinger, I think the place that you have to start is like Christian Yelich was a lot better in 2021 than Cody Bellinger was. 325 woba for Christian Yelich. That's not great, but it's above average. Bellinger was 237 with an ex woba that was in the bottom 10%, bottom 5% in the league. Christian Yelich was still well above average in ex woba. Obviously, 337 isn't what we've come to expect from him, but he still hit the ball really, really hard consistently. He had an 87th percentile and hard hit rate for Christian Yelich, 115 in at max exit VLO, Ninety-one miles per hour and adge- average exit below. Like, I'm more likely to draft Christian Yelich just because I think there are fewer things that need to go right for him. And Chris, I think if Christian Yelich is healthy, he's going to be very, very good this season. I have no idea if Cody Bellinger is going to be good, even if he plays 162 games and magically doesn't have a single scratch on him. Like, I just have no idea what's going on with him. I don't know how much of his struggles the past two seasons. Are related to the injuries. It seems fair to assume some of that, but if we're more worried about Christian Yelich's injuries than than Cody Bellinger's, it would stand to reason that it would also impact him more than Cody Bellinger, and it didn't, at least last season. So I get being more concerned about C- Christian Yelich's injury risk than Cody Bellinger's, just because you know he has dealt with back issues going back to you know the minors, at least from what we understand. Cody Bellinger. Seems like a lot of freak things. He collided with someone twice, I think, that led to injuries. Then the the freak shoulder issue when he was celebrating a home run in the 2020 postseason, or 2019 postseason. But 2020. Yeah,
1: 2020. 2020, yep. Yeah, the okay. the, the shortened <clears throat> Yeah.
0: But I just think there is more... We've seen less of a skills decline from Christian Alex. Like, really, the skills decline we've seen cr- from Christian Alex is he stopped hitting the ball in the air as much, which... It's not great, but we've yeah. seen a version
1: of Christian Yelich that hits I, he, the ball. He's not—he's not the guy he was in his Marlins. Days. That's fine.
0: That's well. I—I that, I don't agree. I mean, like we're still talking borderline elite a- exit velocities, borderline elite hard hit rates. Yes, the, yeah. the expected batting average wasn't what it was, but but,
1: but the production isn't <clears> there. I mean, if if he's if he's only Brandon Nimmo, he's not good enough for my fantasy team. Is the bottom right, line
0: right? But Cody Bellinger might not be. I don't know. There's probably a bad player named Brandon who I could think of. Brandon Webb <laughs> no, get, as a hitter. Uh, <laughs> it was so
1: last year, yeah. I just but think I, I think I had. There are more re- at it unless, unless you play in a deep league because you know Yelich, what he's been the last two years is still good enough for a deep league. But for the majority of people listening, either one of these guys will have to bounce back to some to to some right right. And that's what, and what I'm saying is
0: Christian Yelich has been a lot closer to that the past two seasons. Than
1: Cody Bellinger,
3: that is fair. I, it's just not really saying much. I think that they right. bo- they both, well, I mean, they both have not I, been
1: fantasy. I don't think
0: we can overstate relevant. how much better Christian Yelich was if, than Cody
1: Bellinger. If, if it's season. a two play, if it's a two player pool, only Yelich and Bellinger, pick right, right, one right. of these guys. But that's what we're talking about. No, not really. There there well, has to be a minimum threshold that's met to be relevant in fantasy, and I I don't trust either of them to meet it. Well, Frank asked
0: me which one I would rather have, (laughs) and I would rather have Christian Yelich. Cody Bellinger is more expensive than Christian Yelich, and I think there's more things that have to go right for him to get back to being a relevant fantasy player than there are for Christian Yelich. And even Bellinger's playoffs, where he had like a 930 OPS, it was very Babbitt inflated. He didn't hit for much power, Um, so... Yeah, if if you if I have to pick one, I'm much more likely to take Christian Yelich. I wrote about this on on the site um, last week. If you want to check out some more of the thoughts there,
3: I can't knock you, Chris, for wanting to take Yelich. Like, I think it's just going to come down to a preference thing. I think both of them. Like, yes, they were both bad. Bellinger was way worse last year. But Yelich was still the 211th overall player in sure. Roto. That's that's probably someone you don't want in your lineup, even right. yeah, even though he was better than Bellinger. So uh, you mentioned what Bellinger did in the postseason. I'll point out he hit 333 against fastballs in the playoffs. So it's something to build on. He is four years younger. I prefer Bellinger. I want to get shares of Bellinger this season. It seems about that range where you want to take a shot on somebody with risk who has massive upside. You know, both of these guys are two years well, removed from being top five players in fantasy. Baseball. I
0: think part of it also, Yelich was better before the last two seasons as well. So that's also, I think like the the baseline he's falling from is higher.
3: Fair. I mean, yeah, he was better for more consistently. They were both top five players in 2019. He was, that's he what it was comes down to. He was
0: quite a bit better in 2020, 2019. It was just, he missed the last 30 games of the season or whatever it was.
3: Correct. Uh, and for those who care, Scott Boris actually, You know, showed some uh, trust in in Cody Bellinger bouncing back for whatever it's worth. He is his agent. Quote, uh, he said this about Bellinger. He was (laughs) injured. To Cody's credit, he tried to play, and the Dodgers played him because he is a gold-glove caliber player at two positions. Will be back to full strength in the spring. Learned a great deal about himself last year. Chris, the one name we haven't mentioned yet here, uh, very quickly, are you still in on Giancarlo Stanton? His ADP is 86.4. He uh, that's about 30 picks higher than where he was going last year. He hit 35 home runs, managed to stay healthy for 139 games.
0: I I like him less than I did last season because the price is more expensive. He's not a different. He's not not a radically different player in my eyes that he's not. I don't think he's more likely or less likely to get hurt this season because of last season. I don't think he's a better or worse player. So the fact that he costs more makes me less likely to draft him. But I do still like him more than his price.
3: All right, three more going between picks, 87 and 97. Chris Bryant at 87.2. Brian Reynolds at pick 94, both of those going in the eighth round. Mitch Haniger at 97.2. That is the early ninth round. This ADP comes according to Fantasy Pros, the same as yesterday's podcast as well. Uh, Chris Bryant, very solid last year, finished 67th overall in Roto, 3.0 fantasy points per game. We spoke about him extensively on our third base position preview. Scott, the other two names here, Brian Reynolds and Mitch Hanniger. They both finished as top 40 players, yet they're not being drafted anywhere close to that this season. It seems like there's a sliver of distrust for each of these players. How do you feel about Brian Reynolds and Mitch Haniger?
1: I am much higher on Reynolds than Hanniger. I think Brian Reynolds basically did what Brian Reynolds' profile sets him up to do. Hit about 300. He's great line drive hitter. Always going to have a high BABIP. Uh, the power, probably not going to be a 30 homer guy. But last year, you know, he got to, he got right about to 25. So he's, I don't know, maybe his 90th percentile outcome looks like a 30 homer season. I mean, it, it's possible, but I, I think there's enough power that you don't need him to do that with that batting average. And even with a, even in a miserable pine, pirates lineup, he got to more than 90 RBI, more than 90 runs scored. Like the counting stats all look, Fine. I mean, obviously you just you just said it. He he was great in Roto Leagues last year. Um, and I I don't see I don't see much to distrust in there. I know 2020 was awful. Small sample, it was awful for a lot of players. Uh, but what he did last year looked a lot more like his rookie 2019 season except with a little more power. Haniger Haniger had a combined 210 runs in RBI. He hit 39 home runs, so you can understand the RBI. He only reached base at a 318 clip. I don't know how he's going to score 110 runs again. And um, it it just, his profile is so power-focused. He just doesn't stand out enough to me from like the the Hunter Renfro class of outfielders. I'd rather have him than Hunter Renfro, but we're, shoot, they're going, how far apart are they? It's probably,
3: I think it's 80 picks, Scott.
1: Yeah, something like that. I, I don't think there's that much difference between the two. They're both probably going to be, you know, probably going to give you a batting average in the 250 range. It's more probable in Haniger's case than Renfro. I'll give you that. But I, I just, I don't, I, I don't think the, the small amount of security you're getting from Haniger, who by the way, didn't look at all secure heading into last season, is worth that many spots different in the draft
3: mitch hanniger's adp again is 97 hunter renfro at 176 so yeah just about an 80 spot difference between those two players uh chris your thoughts on brian reynolds versus mitch hanniger i agree with scott i think reynolds is the safer player people might not realize this mitch hanniger's 31 years old when i saw Mm -hmm. that today i was like what how is he 31 years old it's just i know he's missed a couple years some very unfortunate injuries uh i was it was awesome to see Mitch Hanager back, and uh, he was great last year. Chris, I just kind of feel like he got the best out of the quality of contact that he makes, which is not really great quality of contact. So I'm with Scott. I like Reynolds over Haniger. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think both are probably coming off something like the best fantasy seasons that they'll ever have. Reynolds, Hanniger, he's probably more like a 30 to 32 homer guy, and he got 39, so... You know, kind of whatever the difference in his production that would have been if he had hit 32 homers. Like he had an 803 OPS with 39 homers. That's that's a little scary, just because it's like, man, he's really, you know, teetering on the edge. I think of of not being all that great. I think the Hunter Renfro comp is is reasonable. Brian Reynolds, I don't think he can hit lefties well enough to repeat last season. Last season he had a 915 OPS against lefties. He was not nearly as good as that prior to that to twenty twenty one and that came with a four thirteen Babip. So I think the the production against I think he's probably more like a low to mid seven hundreds OPS bat against lefties, but he might be a legitimate like high eight hundreds, low nine hundreds OPS guy against righties. And so the overall profile might end up being, you know, an eight seventy OPS with a really good batting average and 20 ish home runs. I don't know how valuable that's going to end up being in a lineup that should be pretty bad again, but I think he's perfectly fine in this range. I, But yeah, I do think these are two guys, Brian Reynolds and uh, Mitch Hanniger, who probably saw, you know, I don't know if I want to say a 90th percentile outcome, but a, a, an outcome that I don't think they're all that likely to repeat.
3: Yeah. I quickly pulled up Brian Reynolds minor league numbers to look at how he performed against lefties there. And Some um, some inconsistency, 2018 stands out against lefties. 233 batting average, 638 OPS, but everything else looks pretty good. He is a switch hitter, too, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe he takes a little bit of a step back against left-handed pitching, Chris, but uh, overall, I I think it's a pretty safe profile. Strong plate discipline, makes a lot of contact, hits a lot of line drives. I think a 30% line drive rate in the second half last year, so that's going to lend itself to a high batting average. You know, the pop, I just think he I don't could know it's be, like 23, 25 home runs, which, you know, it's solid.
0: Yeah, I think the the problem is like a median outcome might be like twenty homers eighty five eighty or something. And that it's it's the runs in RBI that really worry me more than anything. Like given that I think last year was pretty close to, you know, not you know, a, a best case scenario and he still only had 183 in a decent number of games, that's where it gets hard for me to like get super excited about him. Um but, you know, the quality of a lineup can improve from one year to the next. And if they're 10% better offensively, they could still be one of the worst lineups in baseball and be much better. So I don't want to write them off because of that.
3: O'Neill Cruz, baby. Let's go. Help out our Pirates. Help out our buddy, Brian Reynolds here. Uh, moving forward, I will not include other eligibility players because we've talked about them on other podcasts. So I, I should have just did that from the start of this podcast, but... Alas, I'm not going to mention those other names anymore. We have three more going between picks 100 and 120. Jesse Winker at pick 103 in the ninth round. Austin Meadows at pick 120. Kyle Schwarber at pick 120.2, who has Scott's wandering eye. Kyle Schwarber does. Both of those are going at the end of the 10th round. Scott, we'll start with Jesse Winker here. I think, I don't think, I know that he is very talented when he plays a 288 batting average 888 ops for his career he averaged 3.7 fantasy points per game last season the problem is that he has never played more than 113 games in a season and he cannot hit lefties he is you might as well just put a traffic cone yeah. traffic cone yep. up there because he's not he's he's just not hitting lefties so i don't know last what do we year, what do we do with a player like this scott who's i mean he's clearly very good, but can't stay healthy uh-huh. and has those struggles.
1: Yeah, I struggle with Jesse Winker. I've I started with him ranked pretty high inside the top 20 at outfield for me and have just been kind of moving him down slowly because I find I don't really want to take him. So I'll start with this and head to head points per game last year 3.72 is what Jesse Winker averaged. 3.72. Uh, that's compared to Bryce Harper, who was 3.87. Kyle Tucker was 3.51. So Jesse Winker uh, was closer to Harper than Tucker in terms of head-to-head points per game last year. And both of those guys are first-rounders, right? So he was awesome in first-round caliber bat, at least in points leagues. But, you know, uh, the walk rate helps with that. But the the point is he was awesome, no matter what format you're looking at. Like, he gets a lot more credit... Because he sustained it for a solid four months. I mean, he'd he'd have stretches like that in previous years, but he would then have an awful month following up a great month, and and we're like, who is this guy? We don't know. He did it for four solid months before getting hurt last year. Uh, So I, I feel more confident now than ever that Jesse Winker is good. And are we overstating the injury risk? I know Chris is always careful of that. We may be in Winker's case. But I can't keep coming back to those awful numbers against left-handers. And just how easy would it be for the Reds? And I know they're, they're bleeding talent right now. Uh, they, they don't have as... Many quality options that they're trying to get into the lineup anymore, but it it would still be just so easy for them to sit him against most left-handers, if not all left-handers, with the splits are that bad. And and, and that's gonna it's hurt. hard.
0: It's hard to quantify like how often that happened, but one way you can do it is percentage of his starts that came against lefties. It was nineteen percent for the Reds as a team. It was twenty five point three percent. Obviously, him missing time, maybe that explains some of it, but. I do think there's some real risk of it just because he is, you know, sub 600 OPS for his career against lefties. It's, it's not even like a like, you know, or he's exactly 600 OPS and that's with, you know, a 305 OBP. It's 188 with a 295 slugging percentage against them. It's real bad. And like I mentioned, Brian Reynolds, who might be a 900 OPS bat against righties and only a mid 700s OPS guy against lefties. Well, that's 150 points better. That's a like you can live with Brian Reynolds. He's an above-average hitter against lefties, even if it drags his overall numbers down. Winker, probably unless he takes a big step forward against lefties, he probably doesn't deserve to be in the lineup against them. Even on a team like the Reds, like they have Mm -hmm. someone in their organization who can put up a 700 OPS against lefties.
3: Where's uh, the Punisher Aristide
0: (laughs) Sakino? And so that's that's the (laughs) tough thing is that like. There's real risk there, and I don't know how big the season-long upside is because of that.
1: So, so it, uh, I I almost don't want to even bother with Jesse Winker in a three-outfielder league, yeah. which would include virtually all points leagues, which is his best format. So, it's, yeah. uh, you know, I feel like we're in in between a rock and a hard place with him yeah. because, like, there's this potential for him to be great, but... There's also potential for him to be worthless. (laughs) It's just a weird situation.
3: The injuries concern me quite a bit as well. Look, I I don't know that any of these things are related to each other, but they're pretty serious injuries. The last Mm -hmm. four seasons, a strained hip flexor, right shoulder subluxation, which is what Fernando Tatis has been dealing with, a cervical strain in his spine, and then last year he dealt with an intercostal strain. So... Those are all pretty serious injuries for Winker. I think he's a really talented player, but it's hard for me to get behind it. I don't think they're going to bring back Castellanos. I think that's going to hurt the Reds lineup overall, so I like the player, but I don't like the cost at ADP 103. Austin Meadows was a player that I was very excited about last year, and he wasn't a complete letdown. He finished 75th overall in Roto, but... I had him on a lot of teams, and I just didn't feel good about it. 234 batting average, 27 homers, 106 RBI, four steals with three caught stealing, so I don't think that we're depending on him for really any kind of speed anymore. The good news was that the plate discipline was still solid, 10% walk rate, 20% strikeout rate. The bad news was... Everything else, 53% fly ball rate led baseball. He just basically sold out for power. The batted ball data was terrible. And like Jesse Winker, struggled big time against lefties. He was actually benched down the stretch. Yep. 198 batting average, 563 OPS. Chris, I liked Austin Meadows last year, but even at this depressed cost at 120, I I will not be drafting him here.
0: Yeah, I, I think the lack of speed is a is a big problem for him, and he's a good example of that kind of guy who goes from, you know, well, 12 steals in 138 games. He could swipe 15, maybe 18, to, you know, he ran seven times in 142 last year. That That's the, the kind of thing we're talking about. He historically hasn't been as bad against lefties as he was last season, so it's possible that that was just, you know, a little bit of bad variance, but... He's probably more likely to get benched with a 700 OPS against lefties than Winker is with a 600, just because it's the Rays and they're better than the Reds and they're much more. You know, they're they're happy to bench guys.
1: And you know, it's they, not they, like it's not like he's a focal point of the lineup. You know, he's he's, yeah. he's not that good against righties either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> eight, 8 seventy five
0: OPS against righties is good. It's very good, but it's not right. It's not so good that
1: you know you you. He had 234 last year. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think the the underlying skill set has declined enough that it's hard to get super excited about him. But he's not so old that he couldn't figure something out. You know, he's 27. Like it wouldn't surprise me if we got a 260 30 homer season from him. It's just the the risk is that he's not playing every day. If he doesn't do that.
3: You know what's crazy is we we said that like we don't view Austin Meadows as like a key cog in the Rays lineup. He bats second, third, or fourth in a majority of his games. Like he was right there in the middle of the lineup. So he
0: drove in 106 runs last season. Yeah, amazingly.
3: Be, because their you know their lineup is is really just that good. They have some good OBP guys mm-hmm. up top too. So uh, the last thing I'll add on him is that he's actually been subject to some trade rumors as well recently. So he could wind up somewhere else and look, if the Rays are trading someone away, that means they probably know something that we don't. But anyway, Uh, Scott, the last one here that we'll talk about, Kyle Schwarber at ADP 120.2. For anyone who listened to the Players We Love podcast, It was a great podcast. You should go back and listen to it if you haven't, or watch it. Uh, But Scott has this wandering eye, for one, Kyle Schwarber. And I'm with you, Scott. I mean, he made adjustments last year. He was much better against lefties. Uh, The power was through the roof. He posted career highs and slugging percentage, isolated power, OPS. And now he's a free agent who's been linked to the Rockies. I mean, look, that would be a dream case scenario. But really, he's one of those guys where like, wherever he goes, I think his power is going to play regardless.
1: Yeah, I mean, he split last year between Washington and, and and Boston as a left-handed hitter. Fenway Park is not a great place to hit it out for left-handers. Uh, if, if you give him 155 games, you, his pace last year over 155 games, it comes out to 44 home runs. Oof. Uh, he He worked to recapture his stance, his mechanics from college, from early in the minors when he looked like he was just going to be this otherworldly hitter. It was one of the most exciting players from his draft class and uh, seemed to pay immediate dividends. He had, you know, if not for the injury, he would have clearly had a career season and you could argue he had a career season anyway, even in 399 at-bats. I think, I think if you're drafting him, uh, the the modest expectation is what he did in 2019, which was hit 250 with 38 home runs. I think it could be a lot better than that. Last year he hit 266, again with a 44 home run pace, and we'll see where it goes. Uh, but I'm not worried about him sitting against left-handers anymore. I like him more than Mitch Haniger, who we talked about earlier. I like him more than Giancarlo Stanton. I, he's he's kind of my favorite mid-round power bat as a guy who's... One of his chief focuses this year is not to underdo it with the power.
3: All right, yeah. I think he's good regardless of format, too. Points League, obviously, he walks a ton. And then if you play in Roto, again, Scott, like you just said, if you need power in those middle rounds, he is a fantastic target. Again, that is Kyle Schwarber, ADP 120.2. We have three more going between picks, 130 and 140. Jared Kelnick at pick 131, Trent Grisham at 131.6. Those are right around the end of the 11th round. And then Joey Gallo at pick 137.6. He's going in the 12th round. Chris, it was an up and down season for Jared Kelnick, mostly down. He did flash in September, which obviously is a very small sample size, but I think it's worth mentioning. 248 batting average, seven homers, three steals an 854 OPS, better plate discipline, Quality of contact wasn't great, but the barrel rate was very high. So when he put the ball in the air, he was he was crushing the ball in the air. Uh, what do you think about this cost? Seems a little high for Kelnick. If you're drafting him, it's it what he did last season,
0: good or bad, doesn't really matter. <laughs> right. You know that, that 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 doesn't really play into it. You, you're not if you're taking him in the you know tenth round or eleventh round, it's because you know the minor league numbers are so impressive. The the profile is. Potentially elite for fantasy. Whether he was bad to start and then finished the season well, like okay, maybe September was the start of something. But you're you're drafting him because of the talent, not not because of anything he did in September. And I think it's an okay bet because I I do think the like a down year. He played 123 games between AAA and Double A AA, or AAA and the majors, and he had 23 homers and 12 stolen bases. Like that, That's a pretty cool skill set for a guy who we can all pretty much agree was a disaster in the majors. So I do think there's a very, very viable fantasy skill set here. And if he's just a decent version of what he can be, I think he's going to be a fine value here.
3: I think there's a lot of volatility in the projection for Jared Kelnick. Again, this ADP 131, I think a lot of people are uh, baking in that he is going to improve. And I think he should, based on his prospect pedigree and how great he was in the minors. Yeah, I I think he could go 25-15. It's really the batting average that I... I have trouble figuring out, you know, does he hit 250? Does he hit 220? I, I it could be either one of those things. He could hit 275. So it's it's kind of all over the place, a lot of variance with uh, Jared Kelnick this upcoming season. Scott, I know you had you have some discouraging numbers on Trent Grisham, but I was looking into him and I think he might have been playing hurt because he suffered this heel injury in the middle of May. He didn't return until like early mid-June. Before the heel injury, he hit 301 Six homers, seven steals, and 898 OPS with nearly a 91 mile per hour average exit velocity. The final 96 games, this is a much bigger sample size, obviously. He hit 218, nine homers, six steals, a 675 OPS. So I think that there might be some reasoning for him playing this poorly, as you know, he was playing through an injury.
1: I mean, that's a fine glass half full perspective, but. I think you could sum it up easier than that. I mean, he doesn't hit the ball very hard. Average exit velocity was only 38th percentile last year. He, hang on, I want to make sure I'm right about this before I say it. I think he puts the ball in the air a ton, right? Like his, he's.
3: I think it's pretty evenly distributed. I I don't think there's any kind of outlier batted ball data with him.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, okay, right. the big even. thing it's for
0: difficult. him
3: is he does pop the ball up quite a bit. He didn't yeah, do exactly. so last year, though, Chris. 7%. That's that's not
1: mm-hmm. bad at all. But it's it's the sort of thing we've seen for so many players, Austin Meadows included. Like, when you do put it in the air, it takes a lot more to get it out than it used to. And, and I just don't think Grisham has it in him. So, yeah, I he's going to have to kind of reinvent himself to get the most out of what he has. And I don't know that what he has is going to be that useful.
0: Yeah, and and the other thing when you just look at his whole career is like there are these stretches throughout his career where you can really talk yourself into him. The first month of 2021, the first month of 2020, most of 2019, you know, he had a thousand OPS in AAA. But then you look at his overall numbers and it's like, well, He's hit 255 in the minors with a 792 OPS in the majors mm-hmm. he's hit 243 with a 758 OPS. He's yeah. been like a 15ish stolen base guy overall. Yeah. And so I mean, it's even, like
1: even last year he stole 14 13, 13 in 13. 132
0: games. And so and like
1: we're 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 overpaying for so many like 12, 13, 14 steel guys. But you like can as if they're 25 steel guys.
0: You can steel. squint and see a 20 Homer, 20 stolen base season from him. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, think that's the batting the kind average of pace he was on in 2020 yeah, before. I think the batting
0: average is pretty probably gonna be pretty bad, pretty mediocre yeah. at best. Um and yeah, I think like I don't I don't know if the, the upside is if there's a super easy path to that 2020 upside, but at this cost, like he's what, seventy picks cheaper than he was last year? It's a lot easier to swallow that. Um, when I don't know if the profile has changed all that much.
1: Yeah. I, I just I just honestly I just think he's gonna be useless. I I just <laughs> like by the end of the season, the Padres weren't even playing him every day. Like that that tells that you a fair. lot right there. Yeah. I,
3: I from August on, he basically hits seventh, eighth, or ninth in the lineup more than he let off. So that's saying something. They lost some confidence in him. Maybe he was playing hurt. Maybe this is just who he is, like an inconsistent player month to month, year to year, whatever it might be. The the cross isn't that prohibitive, Scott. I guess that would be the, the pro. I mean, 131.6, mm-hmm. it's it's not a huge
1: price tag, but... Isn't he going right after Jared Kelnick? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so let's see some other players. Reese Hoskins and Josh Bell and CJ. Gr- that whole profit pocket at first base is going after him. Yeah, I'd rather have those. Framber <laughs> Valdez is the next <laughs> starting pitcher off the board. Willie Adams is going after him, I and mean, there's
0: really good players available in this range. True. I think that's a decent range for him in Roto.
1: Yeah, I just I don't like. I I like I Josh Bell and Reese Hoskins. Or speed
0: to keep well, well. I, I like Josh Bell and Reese Hoskins, but like there's a decent chance they hit 230 or 240 with 33 home runs. And like, that's fine. That's pretty useful, but it's not
1: probably hitting 230 or 240.
0: Right. But if he steals, if he goes 15, 15, that's probably not much
1: less. I I don't think hanging on for those two steals every month. I just, I just, I I had Risham last year. I wasn't keeping him in my line. (laughs) Right. Sure.
3: Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I think it comes down to preference and if you don't want to target those whatever 1515 15 kind of players, uh, if that's who you yeah. think Gresham is then then yeah, you could stay away from him. Joey Gallo, I'm gonna need one of you guys to talk about him because as a uh, disheveled <laughs> Yankee fan, it, it's hard for me to uh, to talk about Joey Gallo. He was very, very frustrating um, but I mean that's the player who Joey Gallo is. I mean outside of an outlier 2019 where he hit 253, he's hit 209 or less every other season. In 58 games with the Yankees last year, he hit 160 with a near 39% strikeout rate, a 58% fly ball rate, and a near 50% pull rate. So he clearly was trying to pull everything to the short porch, or he was striking out. That was basically it, or walking. And it was incredibly frustrating to watch. So, uh, Uh, I I have been called fat a lot in my life. (laughs) I'm I'm a bigger guy.
0: Uh, And it still happens occasionally, the Twitter trolls, you know, they'll, they'll come after you and try to make you feel bad about yourself. I've never taken anything that anyone said about me as personally as every Yankees fan takes every strikeout by a player on the Yankees against them. And so Joey Gallo was like the worst possible fit for the Yankees fan base because they just, if you strike out, you are basically attacking their families.
3: But the thing um, is, Chris, we've watched a lot of strikeouts. We, like the Yankee fan community, yes, over the yeah, years. You, like you, more, you than, more than fans, other teams. You are baseball
0: fans in the 2020s. Yeah, but
3: more, more than other teams. It Look, I just, I hated the fit from the get-go. <laughs> and I was so frustrated when they went out, you know, look, of all I, the things look, that I they could do, they trade joke. for Joey Gallo. No, no, I get it. I mean, of course, I'm going to take it personally because I'm a Yankee fan. So, um, yeah. But anyway. Um but uh, look this is the lowest that we've seen Joey Gallo's cost in a yeah. while Chris so like do you actually want to invest his ADP yeah. is 137.6
0: Yeah bye that's fine it's you know you're you're hoping like he's not going to hit 260 you know there there was that like what was it 2019 where he played roughly half a season and hit a lot more line drives and it, it looked like oh Joey Gallo may not be killing your batting average but he did under 200 in, in 163 games since then. Yeah, almost exactly. No, uh, 210 games la- since then, and I think that's probably you know you're hoping for 225 with a ton of home runs and that you can make up for the batting average elsewhere because he walks a ton. He led the American League in walks last season, so that the batting average may not hurt you as much. But yeah, you know what you're getting.
3: There's you know, something that, that's there's something to be said for consistency, and <laughs> you know
1: what you're getting from you know Joey what you're getting. From April through September, you oh, don't know yeah. what you're getting. It's a mess. It's a mess. In a random week in May, you sure. Know? Just to
3: prove that this isn't like an angry Yankee fan thing, I have never owned Joey Gallo in my life. He's just a player that is too frustrating. If, from a head-to-head perspective, yeah, you need consistency on a weekly basis. That's not Joey Gallo. And in Roto, I just can't take that batting average hit. I, I like to protect yeah. the batting average. I, I like to you know contribute, find steals throughout the course of the draft as well, and like. I don't know. Like if you to want to draft so much, if
1: you if batting average hit is less than you think it, oh,
0: it's man. these, but it's, it's, you know, he's there and it's like these, uh, I don't know. Tommy Edmond types or, you know, guys who get pushed up because of stolen bases and you're probably going to get below average production everywhere else. Gallo's kind of the opposite. You know, you're getting below average production at batting average and you're hoping that he gives you above average production in at least three other categories and he very well may. Um So it's the kind of thing where, like, it just highlights that if you can't get power and you can't get, or you can't get speed early in your draft, you're going to have to pick from some imperfect players. And I'd rather do that with someone like Max Muncie or Joey Votto, who's going later than him, than, you know, or even potentially Reese Hoskins. I mean, Gallo's going to hit more homers, I think, but Hoskins may, may is probably going to hit for a better batting average. So I, I think he's okay at this range, but. Things haven't gone according to plan. If you are the one who ends up taking Joey Votto or Joey Gallo.
3: Last point on Joey Gallo. Great. If you want Gallo on your team in a categories league, just plan it beforehand. Unless you want to tank your batting average or punt it, go ahead. I mean, you could punt batting average in and, and take a bunch of these guys, but if you want to be somewhat competitive in batting average, plan on how you want to build that batting average up early so that you can take the hit from Joey Gallo later on in your drafts. Before we hit the break, we do have a live mock draft tonight by the time you are listening to this. Tuesday, February 22nd, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, this time a 12-team head-to-head category draft. All three of us will be here See if I can get a special guest as well. Uh, but yes, come hang out with us Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, for another live draft, and we'll record a mailbag podcast afterwards. So send in some questions as well. FantasyBaseball at CBSI.com. That's the letter I. Or drop a question in an Apple Podcast
2: review. We're going to take a quick break. We have more ADP up next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, TaylorBrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T A I L O R B R A N D dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands.
3: All right, so let's jump back into ADP. We have five outfielders going from picks 145 to picks 170. Lourdes Guriel. At pick 146.4, we have Adolis Garcia at 161.6. Alex Verdugo, 161.8. Dylan Carlson at pick 162. And Miles Straw going at pick 167.8. This is all the 13th or 14th round. Scott, do you find yourself targeting anybody in this range? Guriel, Garcia, Verdugo, Carlson, Miles Straw.
1: I'm not deliberately targeting anyone in this range i we're kind of in this at the stretch of outfield now where you're playing favorites and these happen to not be among my favorites uh sometimes adolis garcia people just avoid him completely and he can slip 20 30 40 spots beyond this and then, you know, th- then you're talking about a next-to-nothing price for a guy who went 30-15 last year. I think it was thirty one sixteen technically. And uh, I'm okay with that, but I don't have a lot of confidence in the profile. It was very front-loaded, the production, and the play discipline's horrible, and he's in bad lineup. Better lineup than last year, but still probably not going to be a great one. Uh, Lourdes Guriel, I think, is the one from this group who clearly un- most clearly underperformed last year. And he'll be a pretty good bet for batting average. The power has been hard to nail down. Is he more of a 20 homer guy? Is he more of a 35 homer guy? But, you know, even if he ends up being only that 20 homer guy, I think this price is pretty good. He's in solid lineup. He had a stretch last year where he um, wasn't quite playing every day, but by the end of the season, he was. So he's probably my favorite from this group. I don't really see much reason to be optimistic about Dylan Carlson anymore. I'm not sure why he's still going this early. He has not impacted the ball as a major leaguer in a way that would convince you there's more upside to be had. I I understand top prospect pedigree and all of that, but at some point you have to start doing it. And you know we've seen a season plus from him. Stolen bases are off the table. He hasn't been running at all. So that's not even part of the equation anymore. And I'm not seeing enough evidence that there's enough power there for him to to be a useful player without speed.
3: I think if Lourdes Guriel just does what he's done throughout the course of his career over 150 games, then he's worth this draft pick. I pick 146.4. Yeah. He's got a 282 yeah. career batting average and his 150 game pace. In terms of home runs, is twenty seven. So if he hits twenty seven yeah, home good. runs with that batting average, yeah, he's, in the he's middle probably
0: of a top seventy five player, yeah, if, if he does that, he does in, that, that yeah. Yeah. in that lineup,
1: yeah, exactly. exactly. That's yeah. the
0: thing is he he's kind of the cheapest real bite you can get of the Blue Jays lineup. And that that's I think the biggest key. Like I think he's a pretty good player. I think he's an above average hitter. I think he's kind of a little bit of a jack of all trades or jack of most trades besides steals, master of none, but you know, in that lineup, if he hits 25 homers and hits 280, you know, you might get 200 runs plus RBI.
3: Man, I've I've done a few draft and hold leagues so far. I've got to get myself some some Lourdes Gurriel here in March because I like this cost. And uh, he actually played through some early season knee issues as well. Final four months last year, he hit 291, 17 homers and 867 OPS. And he made a lot more hard contact. So, I'm in. I I like Lourdes Gurriel quite a bit. Adolis Garcia, I'll point out, he was basically the opposite. His first two months were awesome. His final four months, he had a 6.67 OPS. His plate discipline is terrible. However, this kind of flew under the radar. The Rangers hired Donnie Ecker to be their bench coach slash hitting coordinator, and he was formerly one of the two hitting coaches for the San Francisco Giants for the 2020 and 2021 season. We seen what the Giants have done during that span with their hitters, right? Brandon Crawford, Evan Longoria, Mike Stremski getting a lot out of those hitters. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe this this new Rangers um, you know, coaching staff can can help uh, get Adolis Garcia and my guy Nathaniel Lowe back on track. Uh Chris, <laughs> do you have any thoughts when it comes to uh Verdugo, Carlson and Miles Straw? Carlson I'll point out had a a pretty big second half, 847 OPS. Uh Verdugo I I think if you need batting average and runs at this point in the draft like he's actually he's going to be a plus contributor in both of those categories which it's just it's pretty late to find those two so I think mm-hmm. he's interesting but he's you know he's got to be for the right build obviously
0: Yeah like Verdugo there's a pretty decent chance he hits 300 and scores 95 runs and so you know that that's probably about the most you can say for him if he played in a different home park maybe you might be able to see you know a 20 or 25 homer season for him, the underlying quality of contact numbers actually aren't that bad, but it's just, it's a really bad place for left-handed power. Um, so, you know, that's probably just who he is, but who he is is a pretty solid player. Um, Carlson, he feels a little like Steven Pescotti to me where we kept waiting for the big season to happen from him. And it just, it was like there were just these flashes of it and you look at the overall numbers at the end and it's like, oh, he's fine. But man, if he takes a step forward, if you crack under the hood, he's been really bad against righties. 716 OPS for his career against right-handed pitchers. Obviously, you face right-handed pitchers more than left-handed pitchers. So that, that would be a problem if you, are, uh, if you are worse against them. And the concern for me and the reason why I never wanted to buy him at like the, the peak of his cost was just he had the one great season. In the minors. In and that's pretty much it as a professional. And it wasn't a, a terribly long minor league career, but you know, it it's a lot of projection based on that one season. And based on what we've seen in the majors, I don't know if there's much to be excited about Carlson. So yeah, you I, I think you're you're hoping that the second half and the prospect pedigree lead to bigger things. I'm not super optimistic, but 162, like that that price is so cheap that it's
1: not that bad. The last thing I I'll
3: point know, out, there's... go ahead, Scott.
1: Well, it's, it's, it's only the last comment. Like there, there are some really good outfielders. I, I, I know I just said we're playing favorites. And so maybe my favorites stand out to me more than than Dylan Carlson does. But there, there are some really attractive names still to come. That's all I was going to say. This next group is exactly
3: that, Scott. <laughs> There's a lot of fun names in this 170 yeah. to 200 group. I we, did want to quickly talk about Miles Straw. Yeah. Uh, his yeah. 60 games with Cleveland last year, he had 285 with a 362 OBP, only two home runs, but 13 steals. Fantastic plate discipline. We're talking about a near 11% walk rate, just below 19% strikeout rate, hits a ridiculous amount of line drives, 30% line drive rate. That was a 32-steal pace over 150 games. This isn't like your your Billy Hamilton-type hitter that we've seen in the past. Like Miles Straw is a legit good hitter with really strong plate discipline. He does not chase pitches out of the strike zone. He had a 4.6% swinging strike rate. That is absurd. He makes a crazy amount of contact. So, again, he's, you know, it's... He has to be for the right build. You you need to have your power built up. He's going to give you nothing. You three, four, five home runs throughout the course of the season, but he also might hit two eighty with thirty plus steals, which is very valuable. So he did actually have thirty
1: steals last year. I know yeah. you're saying his pace with, right, Cleveland, with, with Cleveland was thirty two. I mean, he actually got to thirty just straight up. Yep. Um, my my he, he's Myles Straw has become the sleeper specialist de jour, and the price tag steel specialist. Yes, what I say, sleeper specialist, sleeper, yeah. <laughs> steel specialist de jour, and the price tag isn't so bad considering. I just think there's a better version of him a hundred picks later, in Nicky Lopez, who's an even better contact hitter, also won't provide power, and uh, he's a shortstop instead of an outfielder. So there's that. But uh, you know, if I'm looking for a steel specialist who's going to drag me down in the power categories, I'd, I'd rather pay a hundred. I'd rather get him a hundred picks after Miles Straw. The yeah, also, you're. That's my issue there. The you're only
0: hoping thing for Michael Brand, Michael Bourne, right? That's that's the kind of profile you're hoping for.
1: Yeah, the, and that's possible. Guess, that's a long time ago. At this point, <laughs> right? right that's Michael that's Bourne. the one that came to mind. You know, hey, like, yeah. That's true. <laughs>
0: uh, but but that that's also part of it. Is that there just aren't that many guys like that anymore? Yeah. Um, and my concern with hitters like that is, he walks a lot. He also just almost never swings. Like he had a forty percent swing rate last season. And so it's like, how much is he going to walk if pitchers start throwing 55% of the pitches in the strike zone against him? You know, if they really start attacking him. For some reason, you know, it was only 53% last season. that's not so high that, you know, it, it seems like it's the most extreme version of that. And he's just got no power. <laughs> like, zero. I, that's So that's the concern is that, like, what if pitchers start attacking him more? His, the walk rate slips to 8% the strikeout rate goes up to 22% like that might be a player who doesn't play every day. And so I think that's the risk with miles. Straw is like the margin for error is razor thin with his kind of profile. And, um, but again, the price isn't bad.
3: We see six more going between picks 170 and 200. Michael Conforto at pick 173, still a free agent. Hunter Renfro at 176. Marcel Ozuna at pick 180. Avisel Garcia at pick 182.2. Jorge Soler at pick 193. And Robbie Grossman at pick 195.2. Chris, we'll start with you here of this group of six. Again, Conforto, Renfro, Ozuna, Avisel Garcia, Soler, Grossman. Who are your... Let's say two favorites of this group.
0: Well, you know Renfro. A lot of his production came when Darren Waller was out, so I don't know if he consists. Of, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, <clears throat> it's well, weird that well there's played. two well played professional athletes at a high level who are, have the same name. My two favorites in this range are probably. I think Ozuna is probably the best hitter of this group. I actually, I'm not sure it's all that close. If he's playing every day for the Braves, um, which we. Still don't know, but the last we heard, uh, you know, he served his suspension last season. Last we heard, the Brave manager did say, you know, they expect him to be a part of the team. So, I think he's definitely like a decent amount better than everyone else here. Um, he I was number s- one
1: outfielder in fantasy in 2020. It's worth yeah. pointing out.
0: I would say Conforto is probably the the one I like the best out of the the other two and that or the, the rest of this group. And that's mostly just by the dip. You know, a lot of these guys, you're you're buying at something like the highest price you're ever going to get them for. You know, Renfro, like maybe he repeats it, but I think the more likely outcome is, you know, the RBI come way down because he's you know never really been a guy who drives in a bunch of runs, even when he hits 30 homers. So I, I think he's probably more fringy. I think um, saw Garcia is a little underrated. He's a decent source of average and pop, um, but it's a, not a great lineup. And then Solaire, 193, is a very nice value. Yeah,
3: just, I, I just talked
0: talk about all of them when you asked me <laughs> to talk about two. This is just a great
3: group, so I don't blame you. Yeah. It's, I can Depending on what you need, I could see going after anybody, anybody in this group. Honestly, the one that I'll probably draft least is Avisa El-Garcia, and it's just because yeah. everybody else here is either coming, well, not off of a better season because he had a very good year, but obviously moving over to Marlins Park. Um, I don't really buy the the home run to fly ball ratio from last year, but like, Conforto's done it at a high level before. Ozuna's done it. Jorge Soler, you know, Grossman. If you need speed at this point, he went twenty twenty last year. He was one of ten players to do that. So I'm with you. I I, I really like everybody in this group, Scott. Who are who are your favorites?
1: My favorite is Hunter Renfro, uh, who. It's one of the few Chris didn't mention. He was the number nineteen.
0: Oh, I did outfielder. mention him. I don't like him. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, okay, <laughs> he's he was the number nineteen outfielder in Roto last year, and now he's going outside the top forty among outfielders. So clearly, clearly not respected for what he actually did. The power has never been in question. He got the strikeout rate down to twenty two percent, which was good enough to keep him in the lineup, keep the batting average respectable. And now he's going to Milwaukee, where, you know, I don't know that there's a chance for more, but if, if there's any park, if there's any venue you can go to that improves your, uh, your potential as a hitter. Milwaukee is certainly among the top three. I'm looking for at, at what part at every part of the draft, I'm looking for the player who stands out the most for his power potential. And I think Renfro. Uh, In this range is one of them. I like Ozuna. I like Soler another player who stands out for his potential at the range of the draft he's going in. I I, you know, he he hit 48 home runs in 2019 and looked a lot like that hitter again, basically in the second half last year. His first half was horrible. So the overall numbers aren't that great. But he was incredible power in the second half. We all know what he did in the World Series. And uh, there's no risk to the cost. Um, so those three really stand out for me. And I also want to highlight Robbie Grossman because he was one of just a handful of players who's in 2020 last year. Good OBPs, always had an easy time getting on base. He's never really gotten the playing time before that he got last year. But he did enough with it that I think the Tigers, even as an organization looking to take the next step, they're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. If he gets off to a slow start, he may lose every day at bats. He did only hit two thirty something last year. But you can get away with that kind of batting average when you walk like he does. So I I I find I find, you know, everybody's paying up for these fifteen steel guys, Grossman being a twenty steel guy, and, and it doesn't seem like anybody's willing to pay up for him. So I find I end up with him a lot.
3: As an industry, I feel like we do the why draft this guy when you can get the same production 50 picks later kind of thing. But you kind of see a lot of that with Trent Grisham versus Robbie Grossman, right? It's, you know, mm-hmm. 15 to 20 homers and steals. They're both high OBP guys, probably going to have a lower batting yeah. average. So I think they're very similar players. And again, you can get Robbie Grossman this much further around pick 200.
1: So. Well, I mean, Grossman was significantly better than Grish- Grisham last year. Sure. It's worth noting. Yep. I, I think you could do that with Grisham and Lane Thomas, who's, you know, not even drafted in most five outfielder leagues. Yes. You could make it. that kind of comparison.
3: We'll get to Lane Thomas in just a little bit. Uh Chris, I do agree with you with Michael Conforto. I think people have gone too far the other way. The ADP all the way down at 173. He's going a hundred picks later than where he was last year. He finishes a top 60 overall player in both 2019 and 2020. A significant time last year with a hamstring injury in the first half. And then in the second half, he wasn't great, but he, he was solid. He bounced back a little bit. 252 batting average, 11 homers, 792 OPS. Uh, Conforto, currently a free agent too, has been linked to the White Sox. Would be nice.
1: I just, I got to say for Conforto, because, you know, all year I was holding out hope, ah, the underlying numbers look mostly like Michael Conforto. Why is he not performing like Michael Conforto? He's one of the players I flagged as potentially being ruined by the juice ball because he just doesn't hit the ball that hard. And I'm, look, I'm not going to be right about all those guys, obviously. He, he's one of those players that I'm avoiding for that reason.
3: Scott, when was the juice ball most prevalent? It was 2018 and
1: 2019, right? Well, 2019 appeared to be the most, when it was at its juiciest. But the juice ball era, it's basically second half of 2016 okay. through 2020.
3: All right, so yeah, that's that's a pretty big portion of Conforto's career. Because I was going to say, from 2015 to 2020, his entire career leading up to last season, he was an 843 OPS bat. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a all, very valuable player.
1: That's but, all juice call era.
3: Yeah. No, it's a, it's yep. a fair point. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, you guys talked about him quite a bit. I mean, he's from a year to... Like, yearly consistency is all over the place, but, I mean, Mm -hmm. has about as much upside as anybody in this range. Jorge Soler hit 14 home runs in 55 games with the Braves last season. That's a 38-homer pace over 150 games. So, he is a free agent right now as well. Uh, We will... see where he winds up let's get into sleepers breakouts and bust, and then we'll wrap up with a little bit more adp some of those really late round options and scotty we will start with you a sleeper in the outfield
1: so this is one of the obviously outfield is an enormous position i don't know how we're supposed to limit ourselves to just one for each category take as many as you want okay well i'll run through a couple that we've talked about already uh jorge soler i have here um, now you know what? Most of these guys we haven't talked about right, already because they're so low end. I'll highlight Connor Joe. Connor Joe is probably my favorite of the low end outfielders. Uh, he has he may be, he may be the Rockies' leadoff hitter this year, which in and of itself would make him a sleeper, right? But he earned it by how he performed, specifically last August, but really the whole time he was up at the major league club. Reached base at a 387 clip. This is a guy who, past few years in the minors, was always reaching base around four, a 400 clip. Really good on base skills, um, which, you know, playing half his games at Coors Field is going to lead to a lot of run scoring potential. It's middling power, but it's going to play up at Coors Field. You look at his home away splits, they, they look like a typical Rockies hitter. He was awesome at home. 3.13 fantasy points per game is what he averaged last year. That's the same that Mitch Haniger averaged, and uh, you know, mostly for me, what it comes down to is is are the Rockies going to give him that chance to be an everyday player? The the addition of the DH spot obviously helps with that, and they were prepared to do that because of the way he performed uh, last August. I think who was it who was injured? I think it was Rymel Tapia was injured. Correct. And Connor Joe, uh, they they were they were planning to play him in center just to keep his bat in the lineup, and then he hurt his groin and missed the rest of the season. So do they pick up where they left off with him? If they do, then he's a steal, I think, as the what is it, 104th outfielder off the board, going 346th overall on average. Yeah. So he's my favorite. A couple other low-end guys. I mentioned Lane Thomas, Frank. I'm sure you're going to talk about him. I also like Rafael Ortega, those three like that's the the rebuild leadoff lead trio. They're all project to be the leadoff hitters for their respective teams the majority of the time, and yet they're going they're all going outside the top 300 players overall, right? Yeah, so
3: especially yeah. in in deeper outfielder leagues or you know anywhere where you start five outfielders, if you can get one of these guys on the back end. Uh, or even as a bench bat just to see what happens early on in the season. Anyone who's heard Kokomo Friday, you've heard it. Frank loves him some Connor Joe. Yeah, I do. Yep. I do love me some yep. Connor Joe for a lot of the reasons that Scott mentioned. Lots of line drives, great plate discipline. If this guy's leading off consistently for the Rockies, we could get 280-plus, 20-plus homers, 90-plus runs scored, and he's going outside the top 300. So,
1: and. and I do want to point out because I feel like every time we argue for sleepers, of course, we only present the upside case because that's what we're arguing, right? <laughs> well, and most of them are so cheap that the downside case doesn't matter. Exactly. The, the reason people don't buy into them is because they're really old career minor leaguers. Connor Joe's 29 and he's getting his first real shot in the majors. Uh, I believe Rafael Ortega of the Cubs is the same age. And then Lane Thomas is also in his late twenties. So that's why like the only reason they're getting this chance to play so often is because these teams don't have anybody better, but the little bit we saw of them last year, they, they earned the right to play more Ortega, uh, 11 home runs and 12 stolen bases in 330 plate appearances. So, you know, they're, you just project that out. He's coming close to 2020 season, and again, probably going to be batting leadoff for the Cubs at least against right-handed pitchers.
3: All right, Chris, you're up. A sleeper in the outfield.
1: Odell,
0: he crushed the ball at AAA last season, and he, he's one of those guys who's been around for such a long time. Like I feel like he's we've really been talking about him for fantasy as someone you know to stash. Really, probably since 2019, I would say. Uh, You know, he was probably one of the guys that we were stashing in 2019 drafts. And all of a sudden now we're here four draft years later and he still hasn't made an impact at the major league level. He's not even 23 yet. Uh, Joe Adele is a year and a half younger than Adley Rushman, who's probably the, the top prospect in baseball right now. So that's just to highlight how young he is. He had a 934 OPS at AAA last season. And in the major league level, the numbers haven't been good. 594 OPS overall, 703 last season. 98th percentile in sprint speed, 89th percentile on max exit velocity. So he's flashed those elite tools. Uh, and in 2020, he, he was actually 97th percentile in max exit velo. So clearly the elite tools are there. It's very Byron Buxton, you know, where he's had a lot of injuries. He hasn't played all that much, actually. You know, he's been a professional for going back to 2017 and he's played 370 games. So he's pretty raw in terms of development time. But he's got, I don't know if he's got first round potential for fantasy. I don't know if they'll let him run as much as that. But he clearly has the skill set to be a 30 homer, 20 steal guy who doesn't hurt you anywhere. And he's going, let's see, 233.7 is his ADP and NFC drafts. And remember, that's a, a format that tends to value higher variance upside picks like Joe Adele. So... You can get him with one of your last picks, and I think Joe Adele has superstar potential.
3: I'm with you, Chris. I wrote him up in Breakouts 1.0, so a little bit of sneak peek, but Jake, uh, Joe Adele was my breakout pick here. A lot of the reasons that you mentioned, he was much better in the minors last season. He had 289, 23 homers. The strikeout rate was much better, 29%. And then when he joined the majors... He lowered the strikeout rate even more. 23% in the majors last year. You mentioned how hard he can hit the ball. He hasn't done that consistently yet, but we see it in the max exit velocity. So if he can do that a little bit more consistently while he's making contact, the speed is there. If they let him run, you know, steal 15 or so bases, I think there's upside for more than that. We could talk about him as a... Top 50 or 60 player next week. If every uh, next week, (laughs) next week, that would be crazy. Next year, Mm -hmm. if everything clicks for Joe Adele. So I'm with you. He is my breakout uh, in the outfield.
0: He's three months older than Jared Kellenick. Jared Kellenick was about as bad last season in the majors as Joe Adele was in 2020. I guess Joe Adele was probably worse, but you know, he's 21 versus you know, someone who had just turned 22 when he was uh, you know in the majors. So The fact that you get him 100 picks later, like I I don't know if Jared Kalanick has a better fantasy profile than Joe Adele. So it's also just an opportunity to get a very, very recent blue chip prospect at a very cheap price, which is not something you get. You know, Bobby Witt's 140 picks more expensive or something.
3: All right, uh, sleepers for me. I'll quickly mention, Connor, Joe, I agree with you there, Scotty. Lane Thomas, who you've mentioned a few times here, 45 games with the Nationals. Lane Thomas hit 270 with seven homers, 33 runs scored, four steals, and 853 OPS, a 13% walk rate, so getting on base quite a bit. He's flashed some big seasons in the minors as well. In 2018, 27 homers, 17 steals. Of course, he's not a perfect player or else he'd he'd be going much higher than he is. He crushed lefties, absolutely crushed him 381 1103 OPS. But against righties, he was quite bad One seventy eight, six twelve. So he's like, it, he's got to meet in the middle for both of those. Uh, if he wants to maintain being the leadoff hitter for the Nationals. But I think there's some upside. I think we can get like a 2015 kind of
1: bat from Lane Thomas. Yeah. And, and the thing like, like I said before, Nationals, Cubs, Rockies like the reason these guys are going to get to play is because they don't want to go out and sign somebody who's going to make more money they're they're just playing out the string they're at that they're at that stage of of a team of a team's life cycle uh, where they're just going to they're, they're just going to plug in guys who haven't gotten the opportunity before and and that's what they did at the end of last season
3: The ADP for Lane Thomas is 291. The last name I wanted to mention, again, there's just so many sleeper candidates. Jesus Sanchez, outfield prospect with the Marlins. If you just look at what he did last year at face value, 251, 14 homers, an 808 OPS. That's a 32-homer pace over 150 games where Marlins Park is his home park. This guy has legit power. He hits the ball extremely hard. He can hit both lefties and righties. I love to see that from a young left-handed batter. So I am in on Jesus Sanchez. Chris, we'll go to you here with your breakout pick in the outfield.
0: Yeah, I'll go with another recent top prospect who disappointed last season. That's Andrew Vaughn, whose price is, let's see, 236.3 in NFC ADP right now. There's not all that much you can take to be optimistic from his performance last season. He didn't hit the ball as hard as expected. He didn't strike out uh, as rarely as we thought. When he did... Cut his strikeout rate. He also stopped hitting the ball hard. So those two things were kind of tied together. Um, struggled against righties, if I remember correctly. But it's just it's a chance to get an, uh, a, a very cheap version of a guy who was, you know, being drafted as a top 10 first baseman last season. We don't know, <clears throat> you know, exactly where he's going to play, whether he's going to be an everyday player right now, but. There were, you know, he did hit the ball hard. He hit the ball hard consistently, 81st percentile and hard hit rate, 94th percentile max exit velocity. So the, the skills are there. If he can, you know, put them together, I think there's an opportunity still for him to be a top 10 first baseman.
3: First baseman? Sorry, top 30 outfielder, I guess, <laughs> would
0: be the way to phrase that.
3: Fair enough. All right, I mentioned Joe Adele as my breakout pick. Scotty, who you got?
1: Well, I was going to go Joe Adele as well, Ooh. but you guys covered that pretty well already. Thanks. Uh, I, I could go Alex Kirloff, but I, I'm pretty sure I picked him as my breakout at first base. So there's no reason to double dip like that. I, I'll, I guess I'll say Kyle Schwarber because I, I am hopeful that he can have he can have career best numbers this year. That's what I'm that's what I'm crossing my fingers and hoping to get when I take him in the middle of the draft. So yeah, I already talked about him and why I'll say Kyle Schwarber.
3: All right, a bust for me. Tyler O'Neal spoke about him on yesterday's podcast. I worry about the plate discipline, the strikeouts. I think there's a lot of volatility in that batting average, even though he does impact the ball very hard. Uh, I think he's dealt with a lot of injuries the past couple of years as well. I just really don't like the the price tag. You know, he's going you know, inside the top 60, 70 picks. It's it's very high. I understand it. He was awesome last year. I'm worried about Tyler O'Neal myself. Uh, Scott, a bust from you in the outfield.
1: Okay. So we talked about Castellanos in the previous show. We talked about Austin Meadows today. The one that I want to stress the hardest, though, is Randy Orozarena, who we mm-hmm. talked about in part one of the outfield preview too. Just one of the biggest overachievers, according to StatCast last year. Uh, X batting average, X slug. They look they look as yucky as Kevin Biggio's did in 2020 when we were all mm-hmm. over him being a bust. Um, and And... You know, I I think maybe people are a little too certain about him being a twenty steals guy, even because he was only twenty for thirty last year. The Rays are not a risk taking team um, in, in terms of uh, in terms of stealing bases. So you know, if, if he loses that and takes a step back as a hitter, like he could go the Trent Grisham route, where I'm this time next year, I'm saying I'm not even sure he's he's going to be worth rostering.
3: And Chris, yeah. what would you like to add to Randy Rosarina? <laughs> well, uh,
0: I think Scott hit on the head. We had a good discussion about him yesterday. I'm Fair as enough. pessimistic as Scott is. The one thing I will point out as well, he has shown zero ability to hit anything but fastballs. Uh, last season, his expected WOBA against breaking pitches was 227. Against off-speed pitches, it was 250. The year before, when he was good, obviously we're talking small sample size there. But 187 ex-WOBA against breaking balls, 236 against off-speed. Context, 315 to 320 is usually about league average. So he's been just awful against everything but fastball so far. And uh, that's in addition to all the other things that Scott already said. I think there's a chance and a not insignificant chance that he's just not an everyday player.
3: All right. Well, I think I've already got two or three shares of Randy Rosarina. I probably <laughs> stop drafting Randy or Rosarena. Hey, Let, man, you do you. You don't have to hate him just because we do. Hey, I, I respect you guys, man. And look, you're not the only ones. Yeah, you know, I, I posted something on Twitter about him today, and you know, a lot of people. Uh, Had similar thoughts. So uh, he's a polarizing player, and I get it. Uh, Let's wrap up with some more ADP review. These are really late round options going outside the top 200. We'll mention a few prospects here as well. Uh, Six players going from picks 200 through 215 includes Eddie Rosario, Michael Brantley, Akil Badu, Andrew Benintendi, Charlie Blackman, and the aforementioned Andrew Vaughn. Scott, I think that Eddie Rosario is getting pushed down because he's still a free agent. We don't know where he's going to play yet. He was quite bad last year. Obviously worth mentioning that. But prior to 2021, he finished 53rd overall or better in Roto each season from 2018 to 2020. 53rd or better, his ADP is now outside the top 200. Seems a little bit too aggressive the other way for me. Yeah. Yeah, he
1: uh, he and um, Jorge Soler... Both got a lot of attention in the postseason, obviously. Jorge Soler was World Series MVP, Eddie Rosario, NLCS MVP. I mentioned Jorge Soler, how much better he looked in the second half of the year. Uh, you know, they got back to homering at that same pace that made him a 48-homer guy in 2019. Eddie Rosario is a similar story. So he strained his abdominal in late August. Returned or he strained his abdominal earlier on in the season. He returned in late August and in 48 games from late August through the postseason. So I'm counting end of regular season and postseason. 48 games. Eddie Rosario hit 316 with 10 homers and a 975 OPS. I'm not saying that's who he is, but I'm I'm saying I, I'm saying that player that we saw um So being such a consistent contributor in fantasy those years prior to last year is probably still in there. And we shouldn't write him off because of an injury-plagued season. There's still top 30 potential
2: here.
3: Universal DH should definitely help too. Eddie Rosario is a butcher in the outfield so uh man get this guy in the national league american league wherever uh get him a dh spot i think he'll perform quite well there uh chris eddie rosario brantley badu benintendi blackman vaughn do you have one or two here that you like to target late
0: um yeah vaughn for sure blackman i think is a is a decent target late you know there was weird stuff with his batted ball or his uh home road splits last season that make me believe that there's room for him to bounce back. Um, I don't think he's a super high ceiling player anymore, but I think he should be a top, you know, 50 outfielder or so. And, um, but do is a really interesting player. He's sort of like a more extreme version of a jazz Chisholm or, you know, Randy Rosarena is similar as well, where his tools for sure. You know, the, the, the underlying skill set is potentially very intriguing. He just can't hit lefties at all, or at least he couldn't hit lefties at all last season. He, I think he had one extra base hit against them in like 103 or 108 plate appearances, um, struck out 30, 30% 30 of the time. I think that's going to be a real problem for him, and the fact that they hit him a lot against lefties made his overall numbers look better, and I think it, it lowers his overall ceiling until, if and until he can figure that out, but it's worth remembering he had never played above a ball. I believe last season he was a roll five pick. And so the fact that he held his own at the major league level is pretty interesting.
3: Yeah, no, I'm with you there. I mean, he, he goes so late too. I think there's legit power speed potential here. Got to improve against lefties. You sold him short there, Chris. You said only one extra base hit. It was two. He had zero. Oh, two. Okay, okay. <laughs> two extra base <laughs> hits in 108 plate appearances against lefties. That's twice Lasties. as many as I said. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but 82nd percentile max exit velocity, 91st percentile sprint speed, tools for days. And if you see, uh, if you've seen any off-season pictures of this guy, he is jacked. He is jacked up. Uh, Andrew Pen- Benintendi. I wanted to mention. I just, I guess because he's boring, he just goes this late, but he was the 118th overall player last year. Now he's going outside the top 200. So he hit 276, 17 homers, eight steals in 134 games. I mean, that's a, a 2010 player with, with a 275 batting average. That's, that's a pretty valuable player. So uh, I, I don't think he has a ton of upside, but if, yeah. you, if you just need players who are going to play and not hurt you this late, Ben Intendi, Blackman, uh, Eddie Rosario, I'm fine with all of them. I, I liked them quite a bit. Uh, six going from picks 220 through 250 Ian Happ, Adam Duvall, Joe Adele, AJ Pollock, Mark Hanna, and Ramon Laureano. Scott, AJ Pollock was actually sneaky good last year. And now they have the Universal DH in the National League. Cheap exposure to one of the best lineups in baseball. Yeah. <laughs> I know he's old. He's like injury prone. But man, give me give me some AJ Pollock in, in the like the 230 240 range.
1: Yeah, so he averaged 2.92 head-to-head points per game last year. Uh, let's see what's a good comp for that. Hmm? From Randy Orozarena, basically. Now, Orozarena isn't so geared for points leagues, but, I mean, clearly this price tag here for AJ Pollock is selling his potential short. I like a lot of hit, a, a lot of the outfielders in this range, too. Uh, I, I guess it's not surprising that even in five outfielder leagues, I'm... I'm assembling my outfield mostly from mid to late round outfielders. I mean, we got the NL RBI leader going in this range, and Adam Duvall, uh, who also nearly hit 40 home runs last year. He's going to drain your batting average, yeah, but I think... Uh, so
0: will Joey Gallo, and he's going a lot earlier.
1: <laughs> right, exactly. I think Adam Duvall was 20th in Roto, as, as a Roto outfielder last year uh so even accounting for the 228 batting average he delivered i think he's i think he's being undervalued and uh i'm happy to grab him as my fifth outfielder in every five outfielder league
3: chris you get this next group there are six players going from picks 260 to 280 austin hayes rymel tapia uh riley green outfield prospect for the tigers mike yastrzemski jesus sanchez and will myers
0: I, I think that's a pretty underwhelming group. I think there's more interesting players going just ahead of them and just behind them for the most part. Um, you know, Tapia, you're hoping for kind of an empty batting average and some steals. I don't think Will Myers has much left. Jesus Sanchez, I think, is an interesting player, and he's probably the one of this group that I'm most likely to draft. But I think I'm less convinced than Frank is that the the chances of him breaking out are good just cuz i don't know he he was someone who like it was always like oh the underlying skill set the swing when he make when he's right when he gets it right it goes a long way but then the overall numbers in the minors are kind of meh hmm. so we'll see you know it's possible that he could have a he could be like an aviasel garcia type player you know in in a you know, like a 25 to 30 homers, not really great plate discipline, not a lot of steals, but maybe won't kill you in batting average. I could see that kind of a, that, that kind of outcome for him.
3: Uh, yeah, going in this range, obviously I mentioned Jesus Sanchez. I think there's a chance Mike Shremsky can get back on track. He might not play against left-handed pitching, but I do trust the Giants. They've done a great job over the past couple of years. Will Myers, Scott, I believe he was someone else who suffered from the average exit velocity
1: yeah, well, he's he's tricky. He, yep. I, I put him in that in that column because last year's average exit velocity wasn't good. But he and Yo- uh Yoan Moncada, the White Sox third baseman, their exit velocity average exit velocities have been all over the place. There there have been years where Will Myers has hit the ball harder on average than he did last year. So I just think
0: he is he, streaky in the literal sense, not just like. The production is streaky. He is streaky.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Just too, just too volatile in a way that's clearly costing him playing time. So I just don't have that much interest anymore. As Chris said.
3: Yeah. He was diagnosed with patellar tendonitis on April 14th last year. So basically played the entire season with it. I think that's a pretty good reason to struggle. I I don't think something like that goes away. He's probably just going to have it forever, but look, he's going so late now compared to where he was even this time last year. It's, Can he hit 20 homers, give you a handful of steals in an okay Padres lineup? I think so, and it's it's just so late, so I don't mind Will Myers Mm -hmm. as like a fifth outfielder in a really deep league. Sure, Um, I can see that. The rest here, uh, Lane Thomas, Anthony Santander, Tommy Pham, he's a free agent, Andrew McCutcheon is a free agent, Jaron Duran, Max Kepler, Scott, you mentioned Rafael Ortega, there's Lorenzo Kane, Randall Gritchuk, Harrison Bader, Kyle Lewis, a lot of names.
1: Anyone else stand up? Right. Well, see, that's the problem with drafting Will Myers is, is like at this point in the draft, I want to make sure I'm the guy who gets Lane Thomas or Rafael Ortega or Connor Joe. So I'm, I'm just trying to have Will Myers. Okay, mm-hmm. Jaron Duran. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, he's like, I don't think he's going li- later than he was last season, but there's certainly a lot less hype around him. There's a lot less discussion around him. But yep. he actually did the thing last year that we were he hoping he would do. Two months. And then right, the power just s- disappears. 60, 60 games at AAA, which is about two months, but 16 for 16 homers, 16 steals. Like, that's the first time we've seen him hit for power at all yeah. in the minors. So, I, I, I and the, you know, Max Exavilo was average last season. So, I, I don't think you need him to hit for huge power. But if he's just got a little bit of pop, yeah. I mean, he could be a Trent Grisham esque player with more speed, perhaps.
1: Yeah, maybe. I, I, I don't have a good read on him anymore because, yeah, he came out of the gate like gangbusters. And it's like, oh my gosh, is this going to be a 30 30 guy? And then, and then, it, I don't know. It kind of reminded me of, um, I don't know if this is a good comparison, but like, what Luis was his Ruiz? injury? Uh, I don't remember. Duran. Okay.
0: Cause he didn't play a full season last year, but I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, look, I, I don't, like I'm not taking him inside the top 200, but I would rather take a late-round flyer on him than Will Myers or Mike Yastrzemski or Austin Hayes. I mean, Tapia, I guess if you need steals late, he, he would be a guy, but... Yeah. You know, Jaron Duran could also... Duran, right. I don't, I don't, I don't know that
1: the steals so, expectations would be any different for those two. Yeah.
0: So he he's just, an, I think, an interesting late-round guy.
3: The only thing I'm seeing for Duran, Chris, is that he went on the COVID list, so... You okay. might have missed some time because of that last year. Uh, Scott, we'll quickly wrap up with some prospects to know for 2022. Julio Rodriguez with the Mariners. Riley Green with the Tigers. Brendan Davis with the Cubs. Alec Thomas with the Diamondbacks. Josh Lowe with the Tampa Bay Rays. And we've got to mention Oscar Colas because listener of the podcast, Sean Snow, he keeps asking us about it on, on, we don't
1: <laughs> on Twitter. We, we don't have to cater to one guy, Frank.
3: Oh, all right. Well,
1: uh, Oscar, you heard, you, Oscar Colas uh, coming from Cuba. He's in his early 20s already. So, you know, if he hits in the minors, potentially he'll get a shot in the majors sooner than not. Doesn't seem like the prospect gurus are that high on his upside. Um, so I don't... I, I didn't have him in my top 30 for, um, you know, first-year player draft rankings. All right. whatever. And he's in the White Sox system. He's, it's White Sox, right?
3: Yep. Okay. <laughs>
1: um uh, yeah, I mean, Julio Rodriguez is obviously the standout here. And I think because of where the Mariners are looking to contend, he should be up sooner than later. Bobby Witt might not beat him to the majors by much, frankly, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he hit nearly 360 once he got to A last year, and he's just put up monster numbers at every stop. He just seems like that kind of prospect that you're not going to be able to slow down even if you want to, and I don't think the Mariners are going to be that inclined to. Riley Green for the Tigers, you know, another organization expected to take a step forward and he's already gotten significant playing time at AAA, so he should be up soon. The strikeout rate's a little higher than I'd like, but the scouts love the hit tool, there's some speed there, some definitely some power. Uh so he'll probably be the number 2 target among outfield prospects. Yeah, Joshua Joshua Lowe could get a chance with the Rays. I I mean, I, I never Feel confident about anybody's playing time with the Rays, but there's power and speed there. Uh, who else did you mention? Alec Thomas. Yep. For the Diamondbacks, kind of a contact-oriented profile, but enough power, enough speed there to make him interesting in fantasy, and the Diamondbacks don't have a lot of talent, so I could see him getting the chan- a chance at some point. I don't know that he's a high-priority stash necessarily, but I, I I do think there's a good chance he'll be up and contributing at some point in 2022.
3: Uh, Josh Lowe. I know you mentioned him, but he's related to Nathaniel Lowe, so I'm, by default, I have to be interested <laughs> in Josh Lowe. So uh, last year, he hit 291, 22 homers, 26 deals. And you know if the Rays are interested in moving Austin Meadows, it, it might be because they want to give Josh Lowe some playing time. He's already 24 years old, so uh, I think they want to see what they have in the kid. We're going to wrap there. Whew. Outfield is done for now. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow.
2: Bye-bye.